most of us have had the experience of having someone that we love or care about leave the church. The question is always, how do we engage with these people? How do we maintain relationships with people that are sad or angry or hurting uh, in the midst of their faith crisis? As it turns out, uh, Richard McLaren has written a beautiful book called Faith After Doubt in which he lays out four stages that give us a clear idea about the path that any of us might take going through a faith crisis. And more importantly, how do we engage? How do we talk to? How do we work with people and let them know that we want to continue to to have a loving relationship in the end? Pretty important class. Thanks for joining us. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, Opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Well, that said, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get started here today. Um, one of the things that, I, as we begin here, I wanted to uh, kind of set this up a little bit for today because this is going to be just a little bit uh, different. I'm I'm really aware that um, that we're studying a part of the Book of Mormon where you have a group of people that accept the gospel, uh, recognize the falseness of their traditions, and, and when, they come, when they come into the church, they never do leave. Okay? And that, I, I think that's a unique kind of thing that these guys are going to come and never fall away. Now, the other thing that I find fascinating about this particular thing is that the gospel is taught by those who had fallen away. <laughs> Right? That that the the gospel framework for these guys was uh, that they had grown up in the church uh, and the sons of Mosiah and all that. They grow up in the church. They fall away. They try to attack the church. Through miraculous means, they come back into the church. And now we're going to see what kind of missionaries they are. Um, and I find it interesting, for instance, that we had uh, one of our... Uh, one of the talks that I had one yesterday in in uh, sacrament meeting was by uh, one of the sisters, full time missionaries that is with us, and she talked about the fact of being inactive for two years, um, and and the missionary before her, uh, so, some elders have been in there. He'd been inactive for four years, uh, was getting ready to buy a house and moving on with his life, and then decided he needed to come on a mission. He's kind of come full cycle. So it's interesting that we have the sons of Mosiah who had been uh, raised in the church, left the church, came back, and you see what kind of 
missionaries they become when they have gone through this experience. Not that everybody should, but it does add a little bit of salience to some of the stuff that, that they're talking about. So, so we, get, we get that. Now, part of what I wanted to, to utilize today, um, and again, we're taking a little bit of a step back from, from the Book of Mormon for just a sec, because I want to finish the discussion we started last week. Uh, and that is that as we look at kind of the stages of faith, um, th- there's a variety of ways of looking at this. This particular set uh, was put together, uh, the, the, the bare bones of it was put together by a, a wonderful man by the name of Richard McLaren. Uh, Richard McLaren, just by history, uh, he's a he's a Christian um, I don't know if I'd, I wouldn't call him necessarily evangelical, but he grew up in a, in a very rigid evangelical setting in, in North Carolina, small church. He describes it as cult-like, um, where it was really kind of tight. Um, went through his own little faith crisis. Um, ended up starting his own church, but he has written he's written a beautiful book. If if you have um, if you ever get a chance, his book uh, Faith After Doubt has uh, kind of become really popular at BYU among a mem- number of BYU uh, scholars and leaders and things. Uh, and he's kind of become a friend of the Latter Day Saints, and partly because he put these stages together, and everybody went. Oh man, does this sound familiar? <laughs> wow, this this could work. This makes sense even to to us. So uh, again, this isn't perfect, and there's a variety of ways to look at it. But I wanted to show you the one that has actually resonated most with me. And I'll tell you. And one of the reasons why is that in my practice, uh, I end up getting to work with either those that have left the church or those that uh, are loving people who have left the church. So I end up having these discussions a lot in my office. And this is one framework that I found helpful, at least it kind of resonates a little bit with me. So um, we kind of take a look at this. Um, He he actually, uh, Richard describes uh, four stages. and, And the stages are not necessarily one is better than the other but just a progression that he's oftentimes seen people go through uh, on their way to faith after doubt um, and, and, and these actually kind of build on one another if you look at it. there's kind of a, a stair step progression uh, you don't leave necessarily one to go to the next one but you incorporate it into what you believe does that make sense okay so let's start with uh, stage one that uh, we'll just call simplicity. And simplicity is, is kind of the fortress. I see it as kind of the, you're living inside the, your fortress of belief and, and what you think. And with, with simplicity, what that means is that inside the fortress, there's a lot of dualistic thinking. It's just me versus them. It's those of us that live inside the fortress versus those outside the fortress. There's the us's and the them's. <laughs> and I stay and I associate and look at mainly the us's inside the fortress. And I don't have a lot of concern or even, sometimes even understanding about the them's on the outside of 
of the fortress. Does that make sense? Uh, it would be a little bit like um, when we are in uh, Israel and I look at like the uh, uh, Hasidic Jews, the ultra-Orthodox that are there. They live in their own neighborhoods. They do their own thinking. They stay inside this bubble. And they're really not that concerned about what goes on outside there. They just, we're, we're doing our thing. And sometimes you'll see uh, like uh, Islamic women, for instance, that live inside their world and they never really get a lot of education outside. It's just us and them, okay? Now, I also think it's, it's kind of a, uh, even as we're growing up in the church, for instance, if you grew up in the church, it's a very simplistic kind of thing. There's the who's Mormons and who's not Mormons, who's, who's in our church and who's out of our church, and who's inside my family and who's not outside my family, okay? Or like in Layton, where you grew up, they have a street called Gentile. That's right. <laughs> and, and on Gentile Street, that's, guess where that, guess why they call it Gentile? <laughs> that's where the Gentiles lived. That's right. So as we're talking about this, I, it feels like this all kind of started for safety reasons, like, like throughout time, like you would stay together to be safe to protect um, for protection. So it kind of developed that we have to stick together or we're going to be attacked and, and that kind of thing and the fortress. So it makes sense that they wouldn't really interact with anybody. No, it's dangerous out there. Yeah. Uh, and there's a thinking that goes with that. As we were talking about last time, think about the saints as they're leaving Nauvoo. Right. Where we talked about the fact that um, their identity that was was already kind of growing in terms of that we're Israel. Now, if you're getting ready to cross a wilderness, now the Israel parallel just really resonates even more so. Now we are the camp of Israel. And like we talked about, we're leaving the promised land, or we're going on our way to the promised land. We're leaving Babylon, you know, and they get out to the fortress of the mountains, and we just settled in, especially while the Civil War is going on. We just settled into the mountains. We're them, and they're doing their dumb thing. And probably because they kicked us out, they deserve what they're getting out there. And we're just staying in here outside the bullets. Uh, and, uh, and because the, trend, the railroad hadn't come in yet, you really had to work hard to get to the fortress of the mountains. So we're just living inside this thing, and we're just doing our thing inside our thing. And that's the world, uh, and that, that's the one we're going to focus in. So this is, this is simplicity. There can be a little black and white thinking that goes with this. Uh, so inside the, inside the fortress is good, outside is bad. There's, there's, you know, Israel and Gentiles. There is us and the world, and that's the, that's the bad, okay? Now, by the way, online, social media, we never get into this, right? <laughs> Me, me Republican, me good. <laughs> you Democrat, you bad. <laughs> me, me, me climate change. You no climate change, you bad. <laughs> you know, there's a religion that goes with that. Yeah. So, but the on the line thing now. I mean, our society today, the internet society, we have all of these groups who are telling the other group that 
the way they're thinking and the way they're judging is evil. Yes. Yeah. While the group saying it is thinking and judging exactly the way they're accusing the other people of judging. Isn't that so true? You, you're so judgmental. I think you're stupid because you're so judgmental. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, that's why, so what ends up happening with this, it's, it's safe, but it also demonizes those on the other side. There's a real tendency to, to get into that, into that trap. Um, now, by the way, uh, from, a, from a faith standpoint and from, from a Latter-day Saint standpoint, I believe that there are a lot of members of the church that, that stay in simplicity all of their life. They are not interested that much in what others think, uh, what other churches believe, and they live very wonderful, happy lives inside here and outside the church is a is a bit of a conundrum. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, there's another kind of simplicity though within the church because we've got people who just believe the gospel is easy and simple, and then we've got all these people that think. Well, there's another angle for every single aspect of the gospel, and so they get really deep into uh, all the different way. You know, is there a progression between kingdoms, or you know, uh, what about when? When is the se- when does the next seal open? What about what about <laughs> Satan's minions and all of that? And get all these things that they're concerned about. And, you know, they're all interesting, maybe, things, but none of them matter to my progression. It's so true. So, so hold on to that. Because the, the next stage for a lot of people then, if you, if you grow up in a faith, and, and I'm going to use, you know, as, as Latter-day Saints, we're going to start with us, right? A lot of times we move to the next stage uh, by the time we get to be either adults or especially if we might serve missions. Um, Oh, by the way, here's here's a simplicity thing. Dad, what causes wind? Uh, The tree sneezing. (laughs) Really? Yeah, but the truth is more complicated. Oh, wow. Trees are really sneezing today. (laughs) That was was good, yeah. Okay. So, a lot of times the next stage after simplicity then is complexity. And if you'll think about this, complexity involves two things. Uh, First of all, it involves uh, I have to not just live inside the fortress, I have to protect the fortress. And and part of it then is I've got to rally the, the troops. So a lot of times in complexity, what it means is you know protect the fortress. So sometimes it comes with a zeal. I really love the fortress. And I'm going to protect the fortress. But we also have to build the fortress. Which means that what we have to to do for a lot of us then is open the doors to the fortress. You've got to go out. You've got to learn about what other people believe. Now I've got to understand why what Catholics believe, or I'm going to go understand what evangelicals believe, or something like that. I'm going to learn it. I don't need to learn it in depth. <laughs> I just need to learn enough that I can prove to them that they're wrong. 
because the goal is to is to kind of uh, leave the fortress, convince the thems that they're wrong, and bring them back into the fortress. So convert and capture is a big deal. Okay. Uh, so, that, but that means understanding a little bit more about what other people believe. So, getting enough knowledge. But again, uh, the uh, you've got to know enough to disprove them. You've got to have your three scriptures that'll prove that the Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong, or the, you know, I, I know that Catholics believe in the Trinity. So, I've got my three scriptures that will prove uh, that that it isn't a Trinity kind of thing. And I know enough that I can pop those things out. I can convince you you're wrong. You believe it. Okay, I'm going to grab you and haul you back to the fortress. That's the idea. Okay? Now, in doing that, though, there are... So, you've got some people that are going out and capturing, and then sometimes in the fortress, you've also got uh, gatekeepers at the fortress. The people on the tower, and they're watching. Um, and if you ever want to see where the gatekeepers are, uh, it's just funny. Sometimes I will see on social media, uh, some, somebody might say, I, 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 I believe in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I have a testimony of it. Then what you're going to get people from other fortresses <laughs> that are going to say, Oh, that church, you know, billions of dollars and they did this and they, you know, and they start attacking the fortress. And then right behind that will come the, one of the gatekeepers and they'll go, I have a testimony of the church and I know that President Nelson is a prophet. I've got to defend vociferously the fortress. Does that, does that make sense? And, and I've mentioned this before, but let me just say, let me have one person in here. Try, you got to try this sometimes if you really just want to get blackballed by your ward. Anybody interested in being blackballed? <laughs> Let me show you how to do this. Stand, stand up in your gospel doctrine class and go, I'm not sure if Mormon was a real person. <laughs> I'm not sure if there really was a gold plate. Maybe, I'm not sure if Joseph Smith didn't make it up. <laughs> okay. How long would it take? What, what, what then happens, Brent? Well, when we first moved here, we had a high priest instructor. Half the forum did not like him. Yeah. Half of them loved him. He was from Africa. Convert to the church and been a minister before he joined the church. Wow. Approached a little different where he used to. Sure. He would usually start the lesson by saying, Brethren, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the answer to all of the world's problems. And some of them get ready to start cheering. You pause, wait for a minute. And the Lord wants to know what you've done about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you've done about it lately? <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Okay. So if if I stood up in gospel doctrine and I said I'm not sure Mormon was a real person, what would happen in the next five seconds? Testimony. So somebody would what? testimony absolutely the gatekeepers the those on the tower in the in the ward would be like 
I have a testimony with every fiber of my being. It's like, I'm, I've got to protect the fortress at all costs. Probably not even waiting to say, well, Brother Hinckley, why do you believe that? Or where did this come from? Or, uh, yeah, tell me a little bit more about your thoughts. It's like, I just need to know that I have a testimony that you are really wrong. <laughs> I, I got, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share this. Fireside I did the other night. So somebody expressed an opinion that there isn't really a final judgment. <laughs> there is a ongoing evaluation and moving forward in the kingdom. And I, and I happen to say, well, I, I kind of side in that direction. I, I have some, yeah, man, gatekeeper in there. That's just not true. I just, <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's a fireside. And you know, like, I have to have a testimony that there is a fire, final destination and people fry somewhere <laughs> in the other side. I, you know, like, <laughs> Well, part of what happens in complexity... Kevin, yeah? Your example of someone standing up and saying that, I think it could be two things. Either the person is trying to be controversial, mm-hmm. very, very brave. Then, you know, you would think, this is the group that will help me. Yeah. And, 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 and you know who our gospel doctor teacher is. I think he would, he would do a very good job at that. Yeah, but again, trying to say, let me tell you why you believe that, or let's engage. And we're jumping about two stages ahead here. But when we are when we're in stage two complexity, there is a tendency to to then have to defend and attack, uh, and 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 it's about winning. Who, who's who's going to win this argument? Okay, and you're right. Sometimes it's just contrarians. We had we we had, used to have a guy, and I think it was before you came into the ward, so I'm I'm safe. You wouldn't know this guy, who loved in high priest group or in gospel doctrine. He loved to like throw bombs, and he would just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna launch a little missile here. This will stir him up. And then he would watch, and he just watched the place burn. He wouldn't make another comment. He just threw the missile out, and just loved to watch the. And he just watched it going back and forth. Okay. Well, when I started teaching gospel doctrine, he threw a few bombs on me, and I like I took them, I repackaged them, I went forward with it, and we just moved on forward. And he came up after, and he went, "You are the best gospel doctrine teacher I have ever heard." <laughs> Mainly because I wasn't being baited at all by his bombs. I just wouldn't do that. But sometimes there are the contrarians in the group that want to make sure that their opinion is better than everybody else's. So anyway, Brent, you had a... Well, yeah. Years ago, my wife and I visited a ward in California. I can't remember which one it was. Exactly when you speak of God. And he says, before I joined this church, I was agnostic. And my first encounters with the church, most people would really freeze up. I don't have a deal with that. I'm agnostic. He says the reality of the situation is they should have been really excited because my position was I don't know. Yes. And and why would you get concerned about someone that says I don't know? Yeah. I mean, basically, I was saying teach me if you will. And he says they would get so uptight they wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. Well, and I I was actually struck on Thursday night by the rabbi that was running the the seder. 
who said that. He says, in, in understanding all of this, we have a lot of questions. We have a lot of doubts, things we don't know. Okay. And we just have to go, kind of go forward with that. I think a lot of people, when they hear the word agnostic, they are thinking apathetic. Yeah. And, and, and so they're thinking, what do I, how do I deal with somebody who doesn't care? Yeah, yeah. It's maybe apathetic instead of agnostic. Maybe you don't understand the word. Right. <laughs> right. But but not only that, I'm agnostic. But here I am sitting in church. That's that speaks a lot. I'm trying to find some answers. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to understand some things. Right. So. Um, anyway, when we're in complexity, though, there is a tendency then to to uh, battle and ga- gather more information, uh, enough so that we can launch it and attack other people. Uh, and, and so th- this, is that, this is that stage um, where people really do want to know when exactly is the second coming? Exactly what are the signs to the second coming? And I'm going to, you know, we're going to get it. What is exactly the difference between exaltation and salvation? And, you know, and, and, when, it, and when do you think that next seal is being opened? And, you know, and it's like, you know, we're just diving into details, mainly so that we can be the smartest guy in the room. I know more than you do. I'm sure. Uh, Okay. Um, Anyway, so the goal of complexity is capture and convert. Now, here's here's the thing that struggle where the struggle is. I think for people that have been in the church, raised the church, maybe even served missions, and have now left the church. There's a wide variety of reasons why they do that. But I want to give you an idea why some of them, I think, are struggling. And that is that the, one of the things that can happen in simplicity and complexity is that you start developing a very rigid idea about what's true and what is not true, especially for those in simplicity. Um, and then you start gathering more information and it begins to be shattering because it doesn't fit with what you grew up hearing or believing. Uh, or you believe in this, but you're treated by a church leader in a certain way. Or it's, a, it's the gospel of love and your parents beat you over the head with it like, like a hammer. There's a lot of variety of reasons why it is that somebody starts to doubt all of this stuff. Now, the problem with, with especially the simplicity stuff, and even a certain extent the, the complexity, is that the church ends up being like a string of Christmas lights. And what happens when one light goes out? They all go out. So if this one thing is not true, if it turned out that Joseph might, might have had more than one wife, the light goes out, and now, every, now I doubt everything and and you're watching all or I believed all of this and then I found out that the the bishop I grew up with turned out to be doing a lot of bad things and that light goes out and it takes everything else with it Um, and when and when a lot of times we're going from complexity then sometimes then in somebody's stages of faith they go into the next stage which is perplexity and this is when the this is when the walls fall. Now the whole thing collapses and it's on the ground. 
Now I'm not even sure. I might have been a, I might have been a, a very powerful missionary, but now I'm not even sure there's a God. And it just collapses. I used to I used to love church history. Now I think Joseph Smith was a charlatan. And now I'm not sure. And not only that, um, the vast majority of the people that leave as a Latter Day Saint, what church do they go to? They don't. They don't. <laughs> no. In perplexity, it's just level. I, I'm not going to any church. That's why I say I'm not even sure there's a God. Um, and perplexity, depending on the reason why you leave, perplexity uh, with, with the fortress collapse, now you get uh, new info causes like dominoes. And, they, and it all starts to collapse around it, okay? Um, and depending on, on why they leave, the, the result might be some kind of uh, anger. I mean, they'll be angry and attacking. And I'm just going to bristle every time I hear the name of the church. Uh, or if, if this was my whole life, now that that sadness starts to kick in, I, I had a guy in my office not too long ago, and and he had he had left the church, and his wife was struggling, and is, and he's he's looking at me, and there's tears running down his face, and he's going, Brother Hinckley, it'd be the easiest thing in the world if I just believed, but I can't. It's what I grew up with. I just can't, and he's just incredibly sad and hurt, and he lost all of his. Now I'm not sure all the origin stories I grew up with. The traditions, I don't know if I can believe any of that. and I'm just lost. Uh, Now, by the way, there are some that just like, no, this is just too hard and just, that's not my style. I'm just out of here. They might just be apathetic. They just don't believe anything. But you you get, you have to kind of see emotionally where people are when they leave, what drove them. Yeah. Yeah, so you're talking about leaving the church and I'm thinking about Alma the younger and Mosiah's sons. And I just wonder what the definition of the church was that they left. Boy, true. Um, because the church has a definition, but everyone in this room has their own perspective of what the church is. And when you're a, a teenager, uh, if you leave the church, sometimes you have fully embraced them and understand the church and other times you just uh, are rebelling against your dad or something oh boy is that is that true in fact th- th- think about what we, what we talked about before when we talked about the fact that if we have if we have a gospel surrounded by a church that is surrounded by what the world the culture the culture of our church, and then you're right, and then there's this outer thing which is the world, okay? How often when people are leaving the church do they say I'm leaving Jesus? (laughs) Or I'm now rejecting the gospel? What are they saying? I'm leaving what? The church. And that can be a bishop, that can be I'm leaving my dad's hard-heartedness or the way that my parents taught it. Okay? So you're going to get 
so I just think the the no the, the what what everybody's saying is the church is driving me nuts. The church left me with with some trauma or or something like that. And and what they're doing is saying, and sometimes it's not just the church; it's just the culture. You know, I grew up in Utah and. Here's what the church looked like, meaning this is what my ward looked like. This is what my how my family did it. I'm I'm leaving this. I I don't think I've ever had. Has anybody else had somebody say, you know what? I'm leaving Jesus. <laughs> I've, Our, well, we have two. We have a son and, and his wife who who have given up on God. So I did, did it start here? or Did it start with? Jesus. It started with. Uh, Church history. Yes. And then I went to Paul Stockard, uh, uh anti-church literature and the LGBTQ and all that. But I'm thinking, as, as you're a son of the prophet, uh, be it that he's really comparable to a state president or a local authority. Yeah, be closer, uh, right. You know a lot of his flaws. And everyone around you sees him as a saint. Yeah, and I see him at home. And, and, uh, so, he, he got me out of bed. So I think it's easy for me to imagine being Alma the Younger before uh, he was converted. And seeing Dad and everybody adores him and thinks he's perfect. And I know he's not perfect. Yeah. And, and so it's easy for me to have trouble with that. Yeah, well, and see, again, in the culture, and by the way, the culture is shifting. Man, is it shifting. And again, for those of us who grew up in the obedient 80s, where there was an emphasis on obedience, man, the prophet really did walk on water. You know, and, and so we're, tr- we're struggling a little bit to say, how do we see prophets on, on top of this, Brent? Well, when our boys were in the high school, we were in Oklahoma, and they schooled a comparative religion class. Yeah. And our son comes home one night and he was really hot under the college fan. The teacher said, we aren't Christian. And I'm going to go back and prove he's wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, can I ask you a few questions? First question is, what is your teacher's definition of a Christian? Yeah. And he said, well, he says you have to be a pastor or Protestant to be a Christian. I said, well, if that's his definition, he's right, isn't he? If it has something to do with believing in Jesus Christ, right. your Savior, maybe he's not. Yeah, yeah, but because they had a definition, you know, for for a lot of evangelicals, they're in complexity, and they're going to see a Mormon and they're going to go, not Christian. Which, by the way, they don't have the same zeal, but they have the same belief. Do they believe that Catholics are Christian? Catholics, Catholics came up with the definition of the Trinity. And because we don't believe the Trinity the way they do, yes. the God that has no body parts and, yeah. and all that, then they say we don't believe in the same God, which is is technically <laughs> Te- might be true, yeah. but it's that they don't believe in the God they think they believe in. Yeah, but, but also they live inside their own complexity bubbles. So, so if I'm Baptist, I don't think Catholics are Christian. But, but, but because they don't accept Christ verbally and they, they're stuck in works and performances and catechisms and... Oh, wow. 
Okay, they don't believe that. I think Catholics accept baptist baptisms. They, they accept Lutheran's baptism. Yeah, but Baptists don't accept Catholics' baptism. Because they don't baptize by immersion. Yeah, that's right. But they have. But part of the complexity is I've got a series of things that I believe, and anybody outside of that's a them. Okay, that's, and so that's why I'm saying in a polarized world, again, look in social media, and you're going to see everybody living inside their bubbles of complexity. And defining the true belief as this one, and you're them, so I'm you're not. Okay. Maybe this has something to do with this several conference talks about contention and avoiding it. <laughs> yes. So hang on to that. We're going there. We're we're trying to gallop there. <laughs> okay. This, we're still in stage three. <laughs> and, and stage three. So there's a dissonance then, and they're going to struggle then, uh, and part now. I, I will tell you this, that sometimes uh, when, when people are in perplexity and they have doubts, it scares them so bad that they go back to simplicity. <laughs> I'm just so, I, I just go back to I'm going to have a simple belief and I don't even want to look at that thing and it just freaks them out. Okay. So the, the, the next stage to that is... Um, and, and talked to somebody just yesterday that has been going through this cycle. And she was here, and now she's kind of gone through all these stages. And now I'm watching her finally emerge into step, stage four. Okay? And, and stage four is one that uh, McLaren calls. And, I, and this is his word, and I've been trying to find other words that kind of um, define this pretty well. He calls stage four harmony. And it's after, it's after oft times the perplexity and the loss and the doubt and everything. Um, and, and in some ways it's the healthier place to, to be. And l- l- let me just, and again, I, I've spent most of the week trying to find other words that I think uh, describe this. Harmony, for, for lack of better word, is that we, we're going to get to some essential core doctrines about what we believe and about basically what the gospel is. And I don't think you can get into harmony unless you understand the core. Okay? And you don't even know how to engage with somebody in perplexity if you don't understand the core. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's, let, me, let me remind you for just a sec what I think is... And, and I want you to see how harmony works. So for just a second, I want to go to uh, Luke 10. So here's, here's Luke 10, 25. All right. Now, behold, we're 25. This is with the Savior. Certain lawyers stood up tempting him, saying, Master, what do I do to get to eternal life? <laughs> you know, if you're, if, you're a, uh, if you're a Pharisee in complexity, that is a big question. <laughs> what does it take to get, you know, there's a lot of performance. There's 633 things you need to be doing before you're going to make it to eternal life. Okay? What do I need to do? And, and the Savior says, what is written in the law? 
And what, and what the man does is he answers with the Shema. This is uh, De- Deuteronomy 6. This is part of the prayer every day. Uh, uh, Shema Adonai, uh, Adonai Alenehu, Adonai Achad. Meaning, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy strength and mind and thy neighbor as thyself and and the savior goes well yeah you've answered that right do that and live um, now by the way this this little phrase here this put together right here Jesus is actually borrowing from uh, Rabbi Hillel who had lived about about 30 years earlier he's like BC 1 or 2 something like that and the Pharisees loved Rabbi Hillel. And this was what he said. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. That is quoting Rabbi Hillel. And, and now this guy's go, okay, this is a very complexity kind of thing. Well, define neighbor. <laughs> so we can have a conversation and define neighbor. Who's my neighbor? And, and we know this one, right? Okay, and Jesus answers with a parable. Okay, let's, let's do the parable thing. And we're going to talk about the, the, the Good Samaritan, the, the man goes down from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and again, and we get these three people. Remember, the, the priest, the Levite, and then the Samaritan. And then the Savior, right at the end, does an interesting thing. Because the man is asking, What? Who's my neighbor? Now, about halfway through the story, you would say, who's his neighbor? And you'd say what? Everything. Well, hold on. Oh, the priest, the Levite. Hold on. That's not where you'd go. Who's my neighbor? Okay. The, the man on the road. The, he's my neighbor. I should help him, right? That's what it should be. Okay? But, as, but the Savior... He turns the whole thing around and he says, What? Thirty-six. Now, which of these three is the neighbor? <laughs> the the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Which one was the neighbor? Not the man in the road. It was which of these three is the neighbor? Yeah. So we're all going to come up with the wrong answer then. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to think it's the Samaritan, and the, all three of them were the neighbor. Yes. They're, they're just not doing a good job of being a neighbor. And but which one acted like the neighbor? Yeah. The, the Samaritan, right? Acted like the neighbor, but but we need to love all three of them. Yes. They're all our neighbors. Yes, but what the Savior is saying here is, if I if I'm the priest, who's my neighbor? Another person inside my fortress. He's my neighbor. Another priest. If I'm a Levite, who's my neighbor? Another Levite. Or someone in his congregation. Somebody in his congregation. Those are my neighbors. And what's the Savior saying? Everyone. Because there's no way that a Samaritan... Living up there in, in way up in the valley, Jezreel Valley, he's come on. 
He's there, and this guy's on his way down to Jericho. He probably lives in Jericho. There's no way that technically he's his neighbor. And the Savior's turned it around to say, who's, who's the neighbor? Everybody. That, that's, that, that's a masterful switch. Those two things that he says are the two greatest commandments. You know, you were, you were talking earlier about people who get involved with some of the other things, the secret things you were talking about or whatever. Those two things are lifetime commitments, and I feel like every time I go to a conference or every time I hear a good talk, I get a different, maybe not a different spin, but a different angle, a different way to think about it. And isn't that enough to do? Start feeling, yeah, and like more. Why would, because if you just stay with those two things, this is going to keep you pretty good. See, I know, because actually, if he really wanted to prod this guy, the next one might be Do you see any Roman soldiers on your way down here? Yeah. Are they your neighbor? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't want the Romans to be my neighbor. Only the people inside my fortress. Do I want them my neighbor? I don't want the Romans to be my neighbor. So, in regards to this thing where you go to conference or watch conference and you find something new that you need to be doing, and, and you ask, "Aren't aren't I already doing enough?" Which is kind of what he was doing, right? God reveals to us the things that we can do better as soon as we're ready to receive that revelation. Yeah. And so when, you, when you're at conference and you're hearing ways that you can become better, it, to me it's a testimony that you're doing pretty good and God's willing to share with you ways you can become better. Yeah, and we're going to get stretched a little bit. Now, now if we're kind of in if you're in that complexity mode though, there can be a certain amount of perfectionism that goes with the complexity. And now I hear one more thing and it's like dang. Or I've got to run a checklist to go, okay, yeah, make sure I'm gone. Oh, I I I used to run a counseling uh, center in Provo. When I was in graduate school, guess when our busiest time was at the counseling center? It's the week after general conference. <laughs> Everybody with scrupulosity is showing up at our office going, man, I'm awful. <laughs> Help me because I'm feeling waves of guilt and depression. And I mean, yeah, I know. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. This reminds me a lot of my brother-in-law and my sister, where he was born and raised in Utah. Yeah. Uh, then he... Some of us were, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but he um, served a mission in Germany and wanted to bring his family back there because he fell in love with the German people. And so joined the ROTC, became an officer in the Army, and so he could bring his family and serve two tours of duty. Um, over in Germany and made a career out of the army so they had a lot of experience outside and they ended up moving back when he retired to Lehigh, mm-hmm. Utah and they he got into some people who were LGBTQ and gay and he says you know these people really need a lot of help my sister got into um, and still very much involved with suicide prevention 
and especially teenagers. Yeah. A lot of these people are the LGBTQ, mm -hmm. and so they became involved with that. And students at BYU and Provo, they would invite to their home once a month, and to let wow. these people know you are loved, you are cared for. Their ward, of course, saw this since their ward is their neighbors and called them the devil's spawn and wow. all sorts wow. of horrible things. And so my sister is very much struggling to stay in the church. Very, very much struggling. Everybody's ignoring her. You're part of this devil's spawn. And he, like the Christmas lights, First, yeah, and so he might come to Sunday school, he might come to SAC meeting, and they would go to him, you need to be part, you need to be part, and, and different people would come over, the elders form president and, and stuff, and he would argue with them, but, you know, if he's there, you're still the devil's boss. Yeah. And and then my sister, they completely ignore her, we don't want anything to do with you, you're, you're part of the devil's boss. And so I listened to this, and my sister has a website and posts frequently on Facebook about those scriptures. The Savior was here to help the, yeah. you know, those on the fringe. We are to love, you know. We are to love. We are to, to care and to love for everybody. Yeah. And to love for other people. And so they're following this, even though... Yeah. People inside the fortress are rejecting and, and they will. So that's why I say culturally, sometimes people are still struggling with some things there, but they're struggling to protect the culture. And, and what they're missing uh, is, and, and, and uh, what you're describing is, when we get to the core gospel, we're talking about, he's saying, uh, on this hang all the law and the prophets. On what? Love the Lord thy God and do what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, how we love and how we go about doing that, I think we're trying to figure out how to do that. But doing that from this idea of harmony, um, if we understand that the essential core doctrines about the Savior is, is love and kindness, then what we're looking to do is figure out how to collaborate rather than confront. How do we work with somebody that might believe differently or think differently, but bring your strength, let me combine it with my strength, and let's see what we can do. Um, I've noticed, um, it just in my own, uh, I, I haven't gone through a major faith crisis, but as I've kind of studied these, I found myself drifting more and more towards the harmony side of my own belief which is rather than looking at what are the signs of the times, I keep thinking about is what I'm doing kind and loving versus not. That becomes more important to me than trying to figure out the details of this thing. And I'm looking at my own behavior and saying it's about relationships. It's not about confrontation. And a lot of times the complexity mindset will drive people away that are hurting and, and, and need our help, right? When Anyway, after they got involved with this, their son came to them and told them that he has contemplated suicide yeah. and realized that he's gay. Yeah. And uh, he found a partner, and they got married. She sent invitations to the whole board, and a lot of them threw it out. And yeah. said, there's no way. But there's no way they would do it. She was amazed at how many people did come. Yeah. I went out there 
you know, she's my sister, I'm going to support her. This yep. is my nephew, I love him. Yeah. And I found that when I truly accepted the two of them yeah. as a couple. And as people. And as people, and could love them yep. as children of God, as sons of God. Yeah. I found these chains broke from my heart. There you go. I can love them. I don't have to buy into, I don't have to believe everything that they believe. I don't have but, but, to say, you know, whatever, but yeah, I can love them as a people. I do not have to judge them. That's right. I can love them as a people. That is my job. And let, let the Lord take care of that part. And let the Lord take care of the judgment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, so sometimes in the church, we find individuals who want to, to judge the person. But we run into the same situation with the person. And, and we have a gay son, and we love him, and he knows we love him. But he demands of us that we love his gayness. Yeah, and, and, and accept everything about that. And not just accept that he has the right to be gay, but that if we love him, we will be proud of the fact that he's gay. And we can't do that. Uh, all we can do is love him. Yeah. And, and we can't support something that's op in opposition to the gospel that we understand. Sure. In order to, and so that he demands that we judge him righteous, which we can't do. Well, here, here's the battle. Uh, and, and, and that's why I talk about collaboration. And I think the struggle is to learn and understand a lot of times what we what we find is that e even as we get to harmony ourselves and we work and say I need to be able to be loving and accepting stuff like that we're going to interact sometimes with people that are still angry at the church or they're still and they want to read all kinds of anti-mormon stuff or they're they're upset about church finances or they're upset about Joseph Smith or or whatever it is I can't believe a church that would, you know, if somebody drinks coffee, they're not going to go to the celestial kingdom. You know, sometimes, sometimes they're railing against a church that never really existed, which is kind of fascinating. But trying to figure out how to, how to collaborate with somebody who is angry or hurting or something like that, that's the secret sauce, guys. It, it, it really is. How, if, I, if the goal is a relationship with somebody that's hurting... It's how do we find common ground enough so that because we value the relationship enough. Now, sometimes there are going to be those people that says they're, they're just not going to be a relationship. They are so much in their own complexity that they can't even be in the same room with you. You're a Republican? Oh, I just got You know, I just can't even be in the same room with you. Kind of. Whatever that complexity is, they just can't. And we're trying to figure out how do I harmonize? How do I, um, how do I collaborate with, with somebody? Because there's a certain sense when we get to harmony, um, and, and it's hard to go back and, and use the word simplicity. C Cindy always thinks I should find a different word for that. But there's a simpleness to saying, I love you, how do we connect? I love you, how do we have a relationship? It's about kindness. I don't want to battle. I don't want to fight. I want to spend time with somebody that I love. And how do we shelve things like this for Easter dinner? Or how do we shelve this stuff for Thanksgiving? 
so that so that you know that I love you and we're going to find some common ground and that's boy that's the difficult part yeah I was just going to say being in harmony requires making yourself vulnerable because those other people are going to hurt you they will because you love them and they're not at that point yet Okay, and do we have an example of that in the Book of Mormon? Are we running? Are we about to run into that in the Book of Mormon? I'm sure we are. <laughs> How did you guess? <laughs> so over the years, my brother-in-law is gay, and over the, at, at the beginning, he was very yeah, and they will be angry and right. complexity and stuff like that. But over the years of loving him and truly just accepting him for who he is, over time he has come around to harmony. And we now have a really great relationship, the whole family does, with him. Yeah. And so they have to also come to harmony. Well, a lot of times. That's right. Because, because uh, like you guys, you might be in a state of harmony, like I just want, I just want the relationship. Right. But a lot of it depends on... Where are they? Right. So sometimes it's hard to be in harmony when somebody else is in perplexity and they're still angry and upset and hurting and uh, and that that's hard. That is, that is really hard. Well, and when we're in harmony, we think. Yeah. We believe we're in harmony. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're in some perplexity or something like that because we don't want to fight with them about yeah. it. They think we're in apathy. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, so having these conversations, I just think is okay. So, so now I know we're we're running a little low on time about where I want to get to, but let me just. This is good stuff, though. Oh, this this is helpful. So, so here's what I found, and th- and this is this is more me than it is uh, Richard, um, and that was how how do we interact with somebody who is in who has gone to a place of perplexity. Um, and I realized as I was looking at this, how we approach it depends on how we approach it. <laughs> how we approach it depends on us. And because there's no way that we're not in one of these stages or some combination of, given a certain moment. I don't, I don't know that it's always static. We might flip a little bit back and forth, but by and large, we're going to be in one of these areas. They overlap. They, they certainly do. So if you're in perplexity, you're overlapping, you've got a little bit of harmony and you've got a little complexity, and you should have some empathy for yeah. simplicity. For, for to me to get here, often I have gone through all of these other stages. At some level, maybe not a lot of perplexity, but certainly these other moments. So, so let me just suggest this. Part of what I realized what is you have to take just a second and look at what stage you think you're in at the moment, or what stage do you think you stay most of the time? Because it makes a difference about how you respond to somebody who's going through a crisis. So, how you respond to others depends on where you are. So let, let, let me walk through this real quickly. If you're one for whom the gospel has always been very, very simple, uh, Cindy and I have some really good friends, and they are really pretty much in simplicity. <laughs> Don't care about anything that's going on out there. They've just got their world, and they live happy, and they've served uh, well in the church and just done beautiful things, right? But if you're in simplicity... 
and you run into somebody who's going through a, a faith crisis, it's really difficult to understand them. Well, this is the gospel. Why would you go anywhere else? Where else would we go? <laughs> but right here, I have no, I just don't get it. Now, if you're going to try and understand why somebody might do this, then you're going to start coming up with reasons if you're in simplicity. And that is, well, hmm, I just think they want to sin. <laughs> or they were doing fine, they went off to college, so it's about pride and learning. Uh, or, you know, and there, sometimes there's some elements of this. Maybe they just, uh, it's just too hard and they're kind of lazy. I mean, President Nelson called some of these people lazy learners, which was, I wish he'd chosen better words, but. Human. Yeah, but, but at the same time, though, we're, we're trying, I just don't understand these guys. It has to be, and the one that I've heard most often is, well, they just want to sin. The world looks better. Than, than our world and, and, and spend, spending, spending uh, Sunday in the bar is a whole lot better than listening to a high councilman on Sunday <laughs> it might be I don't know about the high, high councilman <laughs> but if we're, in, if we're in simplicity you'll really have a hard time understanding anybody going through a faith crisis okay does that make sense okay now if you're in complexity, it's about zeal, it's about defending the church, I'm at that stage, I've read enough, I've learned enough, here's what's about to happen. If you're in complexity, you're going to be really quick to defend the church. Um, and that means, so often, you're going to bomb them with articles and talks. <laughs> You just send them stuff. <laughs> send them stuff. You know, like, well, you need to listen to this podcast. Or I'm going to send you President Nielsen's last talk. Or I'm going to, you need to read this book, you know. And it's like, by Elder Holland, you know. And it's just like, we're going to bomb you with good church stuff that will say, oh my gosh, I was wrong about Joseph Smith all along because I listened to that President Nielsen talk. Send them memes. You know, just carpet bomb them with church stuff. By the way, how well does that work? Doesn't work. Nyet. <laughs> Nyet. Nyet. And this stuff just does because I have uh, in my family, there are 11 children and everyone's left the church except for two of us. And um, they, as they went through their, their stages, the first leaving the church was to go to another church because we believed in God. That was yeah, that yeah. was a step, and a lot of them have just left churches altogether after that taking that first step. And um, what I, I I see it from them too because after one of my sisters left the church, everybody in my ward had people coming. Some uh, I don't know if it's my sister or who, but I know that she put us on all kinds of mailing lists. And they had, they came in and put literature on all the windshields of the cars of my ward. Oh, that's lovely. And, uh, yeah, so it was really interesting well, to see. It was just anger. There was a lot of anger. Sure, because a lot of times, here's what happens. When somebody gets into perplexity and they don't heal and they don't resolve it, guess what they do? 
to go back to complexity. I'm now the zealous anti-Mormon. <laughs> I'm now the zealous LGBT proponent and everybody else in the world is homophobic. I'm going to go back to complexity and I'm, going to, and I'm now the gatekeeper of the, the anti-Joseph Smith gang. <laughs> And with that, and, and so if they're not getting to a place of relationship, now it's their job, again, remember, it's my job to leave the fortress, capture, convert, and bring back. So I read this article that slammed Brigham Young. You need to read this article that slammed Brigham Young. And, and they're sending podcasts, and they're saying, you know, because they're not in harmony, they're in complexity. And they're trying to capture and convert. I'm not trying to work with you. I'm trying to convert you. And, and so, and, and man, we see it every political season. Whew. You know, you just watch it. Yeah. Well, you're going through all of these stages. I, this really reminds me of something that I studied uh, in school, and that is, I, I had to study a lot of architects of my degree. And in studying it and learning about fortresses, which had no windows. If you notice the fortress on the outside, it has no windows. Yeah. And on the inside, there, that's where all the windows are. On the outside, it has no windows, but it does not allow you to see. Yeah, I know. So you can stay in that simplicity. Yeah. And, it's, and when they develop things that, uh, when they develop cannons and things that uh, would be able to breach the walls, then it didn't matter if they had windows. Yeah, yeah. But I was inside, right. So then we started seeing windows, and then you can see outside your fortress, and then you start having some complexity of, you know, with, you're seeing other points of view, and it's it's like, wait a minute, I'm going to shake my mind up, you know? I remember this last... All of this was architecture, you see? Sure. when we were in, in Israel a few weeks ago, we're walking past, and I, I pointed and said, guys, that, that's, that's not a Herodian wall. That's from the Crusades. Like, wow, how do you know it's the Crusades? Because the only window is long, elongated where you put, the, you put the bow and arrow in there. It's not so you can see out. It's so you can shoot back. <laughs> and the Crusader walls are that way, and the other, the other walls are from other time periods. Yeah, John? I think also... Look, we have rights to be respected, too. Very much so. And that doesn't mean you could ever get in an argument with someone. But I have, on occasion, extended family members. Kids. Uh, I won't go into that. <laughs> you want to be respected. I deserve to be respected. You know who I am. Mm-hmm. I yeah, that's right. You know who I am. And you do not, I do not treat you like that. That's right. You will not treat me like that. to be the ones to take me back to the airport. I barely get in the car. 
and they started in on me. Tell me about that Joseph Smith. Wasn't he some kind of a nut or whatever? And I stopped him right there. I said, no, he, is a, he was a prophet of God, and I'm very sorry that you have been told otherwise. Yeah. That was the end of it. They never brought it. They have been kind to me, I, but I couldn't believe I was attacked like that and anything like that. But there are times you just have to say, no, you will not do this to me. Well, because isn't that what the, the goal of harmony is? It means we have to have some conversations that says, your rela our relationship is more important than the dogma. It is. But part of it's got to be based on respect. And there are going to be some times when you're dealing with somebody in perplexity that they can't get out of that perplexity or that complexity mindset. And you may have to say, We're, our relationship may have to take a break for a little while because I, I want to relate to you and collaborate. But, you know, if you're going to continue to attack, I can't go there. Um, so they, if your complexity is about arguing and contending, and they just can't, anyway. All right, so next one. Let's say that you run into someone who's in perplexity, and you're in perplexity. You've got doubts that you're not telling anybody about. You're showing up at church because it's about tradition and because you've always done it, or you're afraid what would happen if the rest of the family found out. I've got a number of those clients. It's like, man, if the rest of my family found out what I'm really believing or where I'm, how I'm struggling at the moment, I'd never hear the end of this. And so a lot of times, if somebody is in, if you're in perplexity and you run into somebody that's got their own doubts going on, it's gonna, it may stir up your own doubts and confusion. <clears throat> And some will end up going, well, you're freaking me out, so I'm going to go back to simplicity and not talk about any of this ever again. You go know, back to your own, uh, pull, it, pull up the drawbridges on the, on the fortress, disappear inside, and I don't want to know anything more. Ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> okay. Um, Won't there be others that are influenced more by this because now I have an ally? Well, and that's the other one. You may withdraw or you'll join them in their perplexity. And sometimes what I see a lot, and uh, maybe it's kind of what you talked about, is it's not unusual for someone to say, um, my, my sister left the church and then my hus her husband has now left the church and they talked to my brother and he's now left the church and, and then they talked to my other brother and he's now left the church and just watch this domino effect that if, if you can stir up enough doubts and they don't have their own sense about what they're doing you just watch a domino they just seem to be taking now their kids aren't doing it and, and you just watch this kind of gravity pull everybody out so is, is complexity uh would that be the one that I would apply to discord? I think so. Okay. Yeah, because complexity means I want to argue. I want to, and any time that we get in there, we're we're less interested. We're more interested in the facts than we are in how do we maintain the relationship. And maybe our relationship can have disagreement, and we can have healthy disagreements. But when it gets to be discord and argument and contention, we walk away and we're both angrier. Well, nothing great's happening at that point, and it's certainly not in the spirit of... And that really is what President Nielsen is trying to talk about. Let's stop being contentious. It doesn't mean you don't disagree. Because if people honestly want to discuss differences, and we can do it civilly and in harmony, that's cool. But, man, when, if we're in complexity, we just have... Ooh, we can't do that. 
Well, I think a lot of us feel like uh, conflict and contention are synonymous, yeah. and, they're, and they're just so much not. Yeah, even though th 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 those two may happen at the same time. They can happen at the same time, but we ought to know how to have conflict and to address conflict without contention. Yeah, yeah, we're not good at that. <laughs> We're not always good at that. So, so part of what happens here to be able to be in harmony is you've got to understand your own doubts and, and acknowledge that you've got, you know, uh, Lord, can you heal my son? Yes. Do you believe? Well, I believe. Help thou my unbeliefs. <laughs> I'm somewhere between, I have faith, which means I don't have perfect knowledge, which means I know some things, I don't know some things. Help thou my unbelief. I'm in a journey. Perplexity doesn't have to be a really horrible place as long as we're recognizing I'm struggling with some things and now how do, where, how do I go about getting answers and how do I do that, okay? Um, so, so finally, uh, if we're in harmony, this is where the, this is where the struggle is. Um, we have to listen and love. Uh, Savior says it's about it's about loving. Uh, sympathize with your pain. I'm sorry you're hurting. Okay. Uh, I did this just yesterday. Lady on a, a Facebook page I was at. She was talking about her husband had left and she was struggling and everything. And I just said I'm so sorry you're hurting. Um, and then I suggested she read Faith After Doubt. <laughs> I don't think I was bombing her too much. Just, this is a place that might help. You can try and find ways to work together. It doesn't help to read what they're reading. <laughs> it really doesn't. That's more a complexity thing. Um, but trying to find ways to work together, and man, this is the thing that is the most, this is the most difficult part of how do I try to harmonize with somebody who's in complexity. And Joan, like you said, you just may say, I'm just not interested in having this discussion because it's not it's not going to be fruitful um, so okay I'm going to back away from this so um, real quickly then I want to uh, in the by the way so, so questions so far so is it right to understand that when you're interacting with somebody who only wants to fight yeah that that it's reasonable to say I can't enter this environment. Yeah. And so if that's the only environment you're willing to interact with me in, I, we can't enter. We're not going to do this. Yeah, because you have to say, I love you, I don't want to argue, and I want to have a relationship with you. How do we do this in a different sort of way so that we don't end up arguing? And they may just say, well, you know, you're homophobic, so I don't want to have this discussion. Well, okay, you may not be able to do much. Yeah. I feel like... <clears throat> The dynamic of trust, I, I feel like it, it can change on different. Yeah, times. go. Like there might be one time where I say, you know what, I'm in a place today, I have an hour that I can give you and I can just emotionally be there for you. Let me know how you feel. I'm here to listen and to understand. Yeah. But there might be another time where I say, today I have a boundary. Right yeah. Now I'm not open to talk. I'm not in that place. Yeah, I feel like. Sometimes I feel like the dynamic over time, you start working with people and they're trusting each other, especially when there are such big gulfs on, you know, like if your child is completely against the church and you're very involved in church. And yeah. 
Right. Um, and, 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 they, and they think that you've, you've been pulled into stuff and you don't realize, you don't know what I know. Yeah, I feel like as a parent, um, I know all the other parents feel this way, that you're trying to show your child you're more important to me and our relationship is more important than any of the things that we struggle with. And there are some times where I may need to say, hey, that will really There are other times where I can be a place of empathy, but in the end, it's you that I love and you're my kid. Yeah, boy, I love that. Thank you. And I just think that's the hard part, but having your own boundaries about, I'm, like I said, I'm in that place today, or this has gone really well, but it's kind of getting angry and contentious. Can we kind of step back from this? And, but I think stating up front that just says, my goal is that my relationship with you is more important than what you're believing and what I'm believing. How do we do this? Help me, help me know how to have this relationship with you. Uh, in a way that feeds us both. How, how do we collaborate? Yeah. So our son who left the church a, a year ago, he gave me a list of things to read. <laughs> yeah. And I told him I wasn't interested. And he said, if you read this stuff, you'll understand why I believe what I believe. And I said, I already understand why you believe what I believe. <laughs> and he says, well, if you read this, you'll believe the way I do. And I told him... <laughs> That is possible if I embrace what you've embraced, that I would believe the way you believe. But I don't want to believe the way you believe. I'm happy believing the way I believe. And even if I was wrong in believing that, I'm going to be a happier person. I'm happy inside me. And yeah. I would rather be a happy person. Yeah. And and so how do I love you? How, how do we do this? How do we... How do we not drive you away? Yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's like they won't talk to us. Yeah. They don't even have any communication. Yeah, I know. So you can't express that to them? Yeah. Well, so the complexity has come with the cancel culture. If you, if, if you don't believe what I believe, then I'm canceling you. You I'm, don't exist. You don't exist. And you know what? There's not a lot we can do on those. Sometimes that's out of our hands. It's like um, we're almost like Tevia in Fitter on the Roof at the train station right. going, make sure she's warm. We have the right to be respected. Yeah. And the reality is we don't have the right to control anybody else's feelings. No, we don't. Uh, no. We, we have the right to be right. Uh, we even have the right to be wrong. But, but I don't have the right to tell you how to feel about me. Yeah, it's so true. Okay, so here, here's our, I'm going to seed this for next week. Okay, so th- as, as we're, we're going to continue this into next week. But here's what I, based on this discussion we just had, I want you to notice something interesting. I, I hopped over to Alma uh, 24, and this is going to be right at that moment when they've converted the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and they took themselves on a name where the anti, where, where the kind of the pro-tradition Nephite, but we're not Nephite people, okay? We're the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, okay? Now, isn't it, and, and I think this is deliberate, I think Mormon did this. By the way, I do believe Mormon is a real person, <laughs> in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, now, there wasn't one soul who had been converted unto the Lord who would take up arms against who? Their, brother. Their brethren. They're not enemies. They're, they're coming to attack us. The, the, but these aren't my enemies. 
I think Robert E. Lee used to do that. He never had, it wasn't, it wasn't our enemies. It was always, if you read his writings, he always just says, those people. <laughs> you know, I don't want to make people into enemies. And he's going to say, uh, been converted, the, the Lord would take up against their brethren. And then down in 8, uh, uh, Lamoni's brother is going to say, Behold, I thank my great God that he's given us a portion of his spirit to soften our hearts, that we have opened a correspondence with who? Our brethren. Who is? The Nephites. So for them, part of this understanding, and this is a group, this is a group of people in harmony, everybody's neighbors. <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether you happen to be Lamanites and you're coming to attack us, or you're Nephites that we kind of hurt you over the years, but we have now repented and, and we're opening up a correspondence that would be like we're having a discussion <laughs> we're having a conversation how do we make it up what, what, do, we, what do we do here uh, but you're also my brethren and I just love the fact that we're getting two brethren the Lamanites and the Nephites and these guys are going yeah they're all our brethren they're all our neighbors and it doesn't matter whether you hate us or whether you don't hate us you're my neighbor brethren is a better term than neighbor I think isn't it though? Because now I'm not, I'm not just somebody that lives in proximity. Now we're family. But the, the, the Lamanites recognize them as enemies. And the Nephites, or the anti-Nephites, recognize them as yeah. enemies you, and brethren. Yeah, as they're coming to attack the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they, they're, they're not saying, well, we're going to go kill our brethren. <laughs> You're right. They're saying these are our enemies. They're in complexity. I mean, they're going to stay inside there. These are the bad people, and it's all right to kill them because they're being traitors. Okay? It's nice if you can be in your complexity. Now you get to kill people because they don't believe your way. It's okay. All right. Is that, is that enough for a day? Is that? What's that? Uh, well, I do I too. Shooting and uh, classes, and what I'd like to know is, uh, and I'm and I'm kind of thinking about this because of reading this uh, made me think about this. When somebody breaks into my house, do I pull out my gun, <laughs> or, or or do you kneel and let them let them? Uh... Yeah, I had thought. What a what a great. <laughs> What a what a great question for next time. <laughs> but, but, but because but be, I know that there 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 is a wonderful discussion coming next week about uh, the anti Nephi Lehi's and their approach and pathicism pathicism yeah the peaceful stuff. <laughs> Um, but, but, but by the way, there's a there's a there's a wonderful book that just came out by uh, Patrick Mason and David Pulsifer. David was with us on our uh, cruise in October, uh, called "Proclaim Peace," and he's he's addressing some of these issues. and And you don't you don't have to agree with all of what he's saying, but he's bringing up some interesting points about the anti-Nephi Lehi's book. We'll talk about that next week. 
Because I think that's a great question. Because I, because by the way, I've had the same question. I, 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 I know, I know where my weapon is, and I have to ask. But what, what would I do it, and when? Anybody who doesn't want to keep their guns, I will take them. <laughs> I'm in harmony. I will take your guns. <laughs> I will, not, I will not kill a burglar to protect my stuff, but I will kill him to protect yeah. the neighbor that they're going to rob tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to be such a good discussion next week. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, so, so thank you uh, for day. So here, here's my testimony. The gospel is incredibly simple. Uh, it really comes down to how loving we are and how kind we are, even to people with different beliefs. But here's one of the things that I found, and I certainly found this at the Passover on Thursday night. Rather than listening, as we're reading through the Haggadah and we were listening and going through the whole Seder thing, I could see things that I disagreed with and in, in certain approaches and stuff like that. And I was aware of it, but it didn't touch me at all. What I was more impressed with is that if I went there in a sense, with a sense of harmony, I was being taught. And, and people from other, uh, bringing their stuff that they had, they were teaching. I learned a lot Thursday night. I was really taught, and I, and I went away feeling like I had been instructed and uplifted by people that weren't of my church. But had but there were so many gospel truths that were embedded in there that you find when you're in harmony you find truth in other people you find harmony in other religions you find other you find harmony they're either you know they're atheists out there with some beautiful principles I may not agree with everything that they think but if they're bringing truth my heart will resonate when I come across truth part of the problem with complexity is when we're in the fortress we don't want to hear anybody that. You know, someone will say, well, I'm quoting this. They've got, well, are they LDS? Well, no, but they've got truth. Well, I'm only listening to LDS people. Okay, well, welcome to the fortress. <laughs> if there's anything. I, yeah, I know. Or, or, or President Hinckley says, bring all the truth you've got, and we'll see if we can't add to it. But we're still accepting the truth that you bring. I think in harmony we can do that. Uh, and I pray we can do that, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.